Would you like an opinion on a financial matter you're dealing with? Whether it's about retirement, investments, taxes, or 401ks, Scott Hansen and Pat McLean would like to help you by answering your call. To join Allworth's Money Matters, call now at 833-99-WORTH. That's 833-99-WORTH. Welcome to Allworth's Money Matters. I'm Scott Hansen. I'm Pat McLean. We are excited that you are with us today as we're talking about financial matters. We're both practicing financial advisors, and we do our program on a weekly basis. And uh, always excited to be here with you guys to talk about money and finances. And of course, our goal is just to help you make wiser choices with your with your dollars. Um, get to a point where you've got financial independence, where you've got more choices in your life. It's always interesting. I, I think most people. They can't see the decisions that they make with their finances today. They can't see the impact that's going to have in the future. Could you? When you were 20, could you? When I was 20, I worried much more about my, building my career. Okay. Than I did about When you were else. 30. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. I had my second child when I was, did I have my second child? My first, I had my first child when I was 30. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, set up a 529 plan. But but you knew you should save. You didn't know you didn't know what impact it would have in the future. You you just knew it was you didn't do a lifetime financial plan when you were 30 to figure out if you'd be have enough money to retire when you were 60. No. But you not did at 30. You're like at age 50. I understand, but you said at 30, I'm just going to save X because I can and I should. I, I just, Pretty. It was a discipline. Yeah, save X percent, stay and uh, avoid any consumer debt. Yes, actually, and be terrified of debt as a as as, as a whole. <laughs> as a whole, personal debt. Yes, personal yeah. guarantees, anything that personal debt. So where were we going with this? I don't know. Why were why we why did we do this program just to help people with making good choices with their? Yeah, and I got nothing else to do with my time. I'm joking. Nothing else. <laughs> Pretty busy. Pretty busy. Um, so let's go to the calls. And by the way, um, hope you had a nice Thanksgiving with you and yours. We had uh, yeah. family. We went over to, we didn't celebrate Thanksgiving with at our house, but we had a bunch of people over the day after Thanksgiving. So it was nice. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> okay. It's it's kids a- home and all that stuff. Yes, yes, Fine. yes. All right, let's uh, take the calls. 833 833- 99 worth is the number. 833 99 worth. We're starting in California with Roshna. Roshna, you're with Allworth's Money Matters. Hi there. Um, I am going to start by telling you that, uh, and you'll get this reference because you're from Sacramento. Uh, I have two questions for you. But uh, first, you're like the Armstrong Getty of financial planning. That's how well, I think of you. you guys. We appreciate you're very that. very entertaining. Well, thank you. And thank you're too. knowledgeable. And uh, I know them both uh, just through being a longtime Sacramento resident. And they're both um, – they're, they're pretty much – they're very similar in person to who they are on the radio, which is probably – I think it's what you get from us. So. <laughs> okay. Exactly. And I love the personal story. So anyways, I have two questions. Tell me which one you'd like to take first. One's more philosophical in nature and one is more specific to um, my finances. Okay. Well, let's go with the philosophical one first. Okay. <laughs> I've really? been listening okay. to you guys. I would have done the other way. Okay. <laughs> I've been listening to you guys religiously. I look forward to Saturday morning when the podcast is going to drop. Um, and lately you've been giving the advice, and I understand the philosophy behind it, of, you know, your last check should bounce. You made the money. You should spend it. Uh, I, I, I get it, but I'm I'm confused a little bit by that. Um because my parents, over the last few years, uh, I have had 24-hour care in-home for them, uh, two people. Uh, and, and if they had lived large, if they had gone on all the vacations they wanted to and done the things, they wouldn't have this. So I was like, am I missing something? Yeah, kind of. That advice is not broad advice to everybody. It okay. is directed to those people that are terrified to spend. I'll give you an example. So I've been in, doing this a long time. And I remember this is years ago. I was probably in the industry three or four years and had this couple, let's call them Bill and Susie, because that's their names. No, I'm okay. kidding. No, Bill and Susie. And uh, they're retired. 
and they would come in like every six months or whatever it was. They had uh, eight hundred thousand or something saved. They were early seventies, and they also the home was paid off. All they lived on was their social security. And so the major tax planning problem for us was required minimum distributions and how do we avoid as much as, uh, uh, taxes. They weren't spending a dime of their principal, literally living on Social Security. And so I, I, I would kind of say, hey, why don't you spend a little? And I remember it was a couple, <laughs> uh, a year or two had gone by and the, the, the bill came in without Susie. And I said, well, where's Susie? And he says, well, that's what I want to talk to you about. I said, well, what's that? He says, well, she feels like Every time she comes in, you call her cheapskate. <laughs> right? That was her perception. And it was interesting as a young advisor thinking, uh, you know, I need to be careful with, with, with how people are wired internally and what's going on in their own, their own minds. So it, we do give what you said there is we do give that advice. But that, is, that advice is given to people that we are making a value judgment that they have a hard time spending money and that they yes. will in fact need encouragement. I will, I will, I have a client that has, you know, we, we work with people that are just starting in their savings and we work with wealthy, wealthy people. And this gentleman's mm -hmm. been a client of mine for over 20 some odd years. He's got well over $10 million and I can't get him to spend any of it. He is terrified. Mm -hmm. He's going to run out of money. And I send him $25,000 a month with the provision that he cannot return any of it to me. Um, and even then he fights me on it. And so, you, you know, what he does now, quite frankly, in his late 70s, he, when he takes a cruise, he stays in the nicest cabin. When he flies, he flies first class. He, uh, three years ago, decided that he was going to take a, 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 a jet trip with his friends, private, private. That is a way you can blow through ten. Million. <laughs> you can go through ten million dollars pretty fast with private. But so we do say that. But we, you, if you if you listen to who we're talking to, you'll realize okay, that makes sense because we don't say it very often, but we do say it. And we need. It's really important that we've got the assets to take care of the, what needs we're going to have later in life. We couldn't agree more. Like your parents said, they had blown it. They would be on state aid. And they wouldn't be in their own home. That's right. And this has been, you know, I mean, my mom was on a ventilator two years ago, and we thought that was it. And here she is still today. Wow. I, you know, but it's it's the, but I, I, it, it, because they were very judicious, they were not spenders. Um, they have the wherewithal to be able to afford it because it's a very expensive proposition. That is right. That and is so right. So that's what I was missing. Yeah, that so is right. Like, that is right. I always okay. joke, and I actually think that people are kind of wired a certain way. I just watch my own children. My oldest daughter, she can't save two nickels and my son doesn't like spending. And they've always been that way since they were little. I remember going to Toys R Us when my kid was little, he had a gift card. And after 45 minutes we left, he had nothing because he didn't feel like parting with this little card he had that can exchange for something that was more valuable to him. Uh -huh. uh, and so I hope when my daughter eventually marries, assuming she ever gets married, she marries someone who's like my son, who's a good saver. Yes. If she marries another spender... They're going to be in big trouble. And my son, if he ends up marrying another big saver, they're not going to have any fun in life. They're going to end up with tons of well, money. They'll have fun. Ah, whatever. But okay. I mean, so what's your next question? You said you had a practical okay, question. Okay. Yes. For and by the way, I have a son and daughter that uh, daughter and son that literally match up with, with what you just described. <laughs> um, anyways. Uh, so my second question is we're going to retire in four years. That's the plan. And um, there is a sum of money that I, we can either roll over. Uh, it's about, it, at that point, it will be about 670000 We can either roll it over into another tax deferred, in, you know, into an IRA or whatever. Or they will, uh, it's basically for every 50000 it's $620 a month um, for nine years. Okay. And the money that, will all be Was this a deferred compensation plan through an employer? So uh, it stirs as the employer, or the um, we both teach college. Okay. And this is the supplemental plan because yeah. we. Got it. But it's got four a lot years from now. Four years from okay. now. We can't answer your question. And okay. and and let me tell you why we can't. Well, we can't answer your question, but we're going to be wrong. We're going to be wrong because why? Well, well, because this this lump sum may change, and the that. 
this lump sum may change. where interests are, that it might that the lump sum might be really attractive, or the the, the a monthly amount. I mean, more, might be more attractive. So, so if okay. you have a choice of you have a choice right now of X amount of money a month or a lump sum of six hundred and seventy thousand, correct? Uh, it, it, and once we leave the employer, that, we'll have a pension as well. That's right. But this so, is separate money. So what happens is if interest rates are low when you go to retire, this lump sum will be large. If interest rates are high when you go to retire, this lump sum will be smaller. This may be as large as that $670,000 ever gets. Now, if you could roll this out without leaving your employer today, today, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would do so. But you probably can't. But you probably cannot. 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 Yes, I cannot. Yes. I, I just didn't know if it was a good deal. We don't but, know. You know. It's yeah. all based upon okay. market interest rates at the time. Yeah, and, and so we don't, we don't know what that is. So what we do know is that many of these are, are based upon an annual or quarterly interest rate, often set side by the PBGC or the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corp. We've mm-hmm. taken a number of calls about this over the last few weeks. So these pension lump sums are are massive. They will absolutely be smaller next year because we know interest rates that they use as the um, that they base the lump sum on has gone up. And so, as much as I'd love to tell you what to do, call me in four mm-hmm. years, Roshna. God willing, I'll still be here, um, and we will answer the question at that time. But I wouldn't spend a time. Uh, I wouldn't spend a minute yeah, thinking about it. Okay. That's that's fine. Yeah, and and it, like I said, we'll both have pensions, and we'll both have. We've also saved, so we'll Russia, have, we have a, no question man, that you're a, a good saver. There's a good chance the lump sum is going to make more sense for you. Based upon you've got a pension, you. But but we we won't know there. But because you've got a defined benefit pension plan, as a college professor, you're going to probably be more. You'll most likely gravitate more to. Uh, the lump sum, but if interest rates are, God forbid, 12, 14%, um, then y- you'd take the pension. And, uh, and we okay, laugh, yeah. we, we, we could laugh at the 12 or 14%, but it wasn't that long ago that they were. Well, 30 years. Yeah. Well, that wasn't I mean, that long yeah, ago. I, okay. <laughs> okay. It was, it was, yes. I, yep. I, our first house had a uh, 10% interest rate. Yeah, that's so right. It I, wasn't that long I get ago. It. Yeah. So, all right. Appreciate the call. So, thanks for uh, thank being you. a yeah, thanks, loyal Rosh, listener. No. Matter of fact, I was thinking my, my first house had a. Uh... Mine was 10 plus. No, mine wasn't. Mine was eight something. It was 92. 1992. It was, you know, it was helpful. We'll go to the call here in a second, but I, should, I say this was helpful. My, the, my, my wife and I were married. We bought our first house together in 1992. We paid less was uh, less for the house than the original owner had two years prior. And we lived there for three years. And when we sold it, we sold it not only for less than we paid for it, but I had to carry a bit of a second to make the deal work. Did you right? really? Yes. But it was at a time when it was a great time to, to move up to the next house, which was a we had a starter home. And it was then we had a really nice family home after that. It was a screaming deal at the time. But having there's nothing like having a personal experience from an education standpoint. Always better than book experience, right? <laughs> You'll remember them longer. You remember them longer. And I was talking to somebody uh, recently, and they were they, 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 financial advisor. They specialize in kind of sudden wealth type things, and they help um, athletes plan and some. And I, I thought the the challenge in, until somebody's actually had their own personal experience knows what it's like to have portfolios go down in value, then come back up, have some losses in some of their areas. It's it's hard for them to to be to make to make really informed decisions. The education is not quite so personal. Yes. It can it can happen though. Anyway, let's uh, continue on. <laughs> Look in Pat's face like this. <laughs> this isn't very interesting, Scott. I'm like, sorry. well, like, how do you become a financial advisor and and counsel on sudden wealth unless you've won the lottery and then wanted to be a financial advisor? You you can't be a financial advisor to people that get sudden wealth because such. A, I guess you could. You know how hard it is though, and someone gets if, if they haven't experienced oh, it before. Yes. Someone is relatively young. They they don't have anything in their four hundred one k. They've never really had an yeah, investment account. They get, they get and a they get a million money. bucks, and it's yeah. like, 
Yes. You know what's going to happen. Yes, yes. You're going to you make some you terrible, know many... you're gonna make some terrible, <laughs> terrible mistakes. You're going to make... Well, well hopefully good, not. They'll... Well, a good advisor's job is to try to minimize the mistakes that will be made. There will be but, mistakes. There will be mistakes, yeah. All right, let's continue on. We're in New York talking with Robert. Robert, you're with Allworth's Money Matters. Well, good afternoon. Hi, Robert. Hi. Uh, well, I guess I'll give you a little bit of a brief background. Um, I'm in my late 60s. Wife's in her early 60s. We are uh, debt-free. Uh, we have both retired from full careers. Um, we're postponing her Social Security until her 70th birthday to to maximize that. And we have just sold our home and will be uh, somewhere at uh, between 225000 250000 um, cash out of that. Uh, so we're looking for what to do with it while we look for another home. Okay. And, and so this will be reinvested here shortly? Uh, I would expect to reinvest within six to nine months. Okay. And, uh, but you don't know when in the next six to nine months, you just, it could it be right. next we've week. Been, we've been, we, we've been looking, it could be next week okay. or it could be after the first of the year. Okay. Uh, so we haven't found a property that suits us yet. Okay. I think what we should probably think about is cryptocurrency. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. It's down thank so much. You. <laughs> thank you. I'll call you again when I need to. <laughs> that was the right response. That was a, exactly the right response. So, Scott, are you on Bankrate.com? Yeah. So, this simple, if look, if I were in your situation, I would just look for a high yielding, uh, FDIC insured savings account. So uh, uh, there's a there's a website, and I'm not necessarily. I guess I am recommended. <laughs> Bankrate.com, uh, and they tend to, they'll list the highest. And, and you're going to end government up with insured. Someone, All you care about, as long as they're insured, you don't care anything else about the financial health of the bank. So they're, and they're FDIC. And so there's two components to it. There's a money market account, and then there's a cash account. You put the minimum okay. in the cash account, let's say $500 or $1,000, and then you put the remainder in the money market account. The money market account is completely liquid. And when you need the money, you just these are you're talking about uh, money market de deposit accounts, yes, demand well, accounts, demand. These accounts. are you're talking about insured accounts from the fin financial institution. They are insured, so okay. you're going to find them at like in the length the there banks. Three, and I'm looking at rates right now. One three would to, be at like Goldman Bank or Synchrony or three to three, three to three and a quarter percent. Yeah, so that's where it wants to go, and just so you. In that way, it's simple. You, if you need the money in two weeks, you, you can just, take the money right out. You just wire it into the checking account, and you can wire it, or you could write checks on it. You can do anything you want. It's completely liquid. So you want it on demand. It's on demand. Yeah, go to bankrate.com and yep. just and, pick one. doesn't really yep, matter. Yep, and it's going to be online, which might make you a little comfortable. But I actually, I, I got to tell you, you, last night, last night, I had this conversation. My wife is an accountant by education, and I said to her, you know, this money that we're keeping at the bank, a little bit of money. I said, it, it didn't matter a year ago That's that right. if the money was in savings at the bank. I said, right now, the bank, the credit union I belong to is paying one-tenth of a percent. Right. One-tenth of a percent the in, their money really, market, really in their money market. I said, it didn't matter a year ago when the money markets were paying two-tenths of a percent. I said, but now they're paying three percent. We should keep almost no money in the bank at all. And you know what my wife said to me? She said, why don't you go ahead and do that paperwork to move it? <laughs> <laughs> and did you move it? I will. It last night. <laughs> <laughs> Does that answer your question? Okay, good. Yeah, that answered, that answered my question, and that's the answer that I had on my own. So Perfect. thank you for oh, confirming Perfect. that. All right. And where are you moving to, Robert? Uh, probably somewhere within uh, 20 miles of where I'm sitting. All right, right. perfect. It just, we just felt, uh, we felt, uh, if I can say this on your show, we felt a leading of the Lord. It was time to sell this place. Well, all right. whatever works, yeah, whatever works. You. And you're more than welcome to say that on our show. Appreciate the call, Robert. Um, let's go to California and talk to Rudy. Rudy with Allworth's Money Matters. Hi, Scott and Pat. Thanks for taking the call. Yeah. Um, I've, got, I've got a couple of general investment questions. The first one has to do with dividend reinvestment plan versus taking the cash from a dividend. 
I guess if you assume that you don't need the dividend, you just want to reinvest for growth. Um, you know, in years past, the there were commissions, so the drip program yep. worked out well. It, it did dollar cost averaging. It, it was disciplined, no commissions. But today, Correct. since we don't have commissions, um, I guess the question is, and many managers, you know, their preference is to take the cash and then reinvest either in a market downturn or deploy it somewhere else. So I would like your thoughts on that. Yeah, it's interesting. We had just answered a question like this a week or two prior, but uh, and so that's, we'll, we'll expand upon it further on this call. The, the, the here's the, and to your point, there was a day years ago when it made sense to have dividend reinvestment plans because it didn't cost anything to have the dividends reinvested. There was a lot of friction in yes. the process. Today, buying securities is free, essentially, most of the places. Um, and the, the typical portfolio outside of an IRA is not ultimately optimally allocated because someone bought some securities and something years ago and added something else somewhere else. And as things have grown at different different rates, maybe you were, maybe you started out being equally weighted in value and growth stocks, and then over a number of period of years, growth stocks that outperformed value suddenly found yourself overweighted in growth stocks. Well, you're not going to sell your growth and to buy the value and incur a tax liability unless it really made sense to. Um, so the the benefit about having the dividends go into cash and then getting to choose where they're reinvested, which piece of the portfolio, it, it, it helps to have the more ultimately managed, optimally, optimally managed portfolio. If you just have them reinvested, you're compounding upon a misallocated portfolio. And, and, you're, and you're right, 100% correct. Years ago, you would do that. It was easy. Um, and there would used to be trading friction or cost associated with the reallocating the portfolio. Those days are gone. So does that answer that question? Yeah, it does. And, and the reason I brought it up, because recently I, I had sold some uh, fund that I had bought earlier at a loss and offset it with some gains. And then uh, I didn't realize it, but a dividend showed up of 900 bucks, and it created a wash sale because of that automatic uh, dripping. So, uh, so I, you know, I sort of got out of oh. that. I said, you know uh, this <laughs> what? This is not the right. Oh, man, what a pain. I just learned something here. I never even thought of that. Yeah. It, you know, it I, only I created a, a wash sale for that $900 for yeah. that part of the dividend. Correct. It didn't wash the wholesale. Um, Correct. That's interesting. Correct. I never because so there was must a have, delay. You must have sold between the, mm -hmm. uh, the ex dividend period before the ex dividend period, whatever that's called. Yeah, the, the yeah. declared dividend yeah, 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 and then yeah. it, it went ex dividend. Yeah. That's interesting. I yeah. never. That, all right. Yeah. That's another reason I, you shouldn't I, I do it. Yeah, I not only sold it, but then I went in and I changed my allocation from reinvesting back to deposit, but it's still reinvested it and then i called and said how did that happen he said well there's a, a record date yep and at that record date you know mm. so that was a wash but my second question has to do with and i know I, i've listened to your podcast all the time and you know there's uh, i think it's highly recommended to put money into a total market fund from time to time so i was thinking um if i make up a number if you have thirty thousand dollars if you put ten thousand in a small cap ten thousand in a mid and ten thousand in a large cap would that be a better strategy than just putting 30000 in a total market? I've uh, never done it. it it's basically 75% in large S&P, large the cap. The total market is. Yes, 75% in large cap, 15% mid cap, 10% small cap. So you going a third, a third, a third, because it, it is a weighted index. It's not an unweighted index. It's weighted to its market capitalization. So, so in other words, the okay, so of the total stock market, index, which is, well, there's several thousand securities in there. 75% of the value is in just those five, first 500, the S&P 500. And then the other 25% is in mid and small. So you buying small, mid, and large equally, you're not mimicking the total market. Now, in saying that, now in saying that, it might um, yield a higher return over the oh, next 20 years. Yes. Historically, small and mid-company stocks have done lar better than large company stocks, but with a lot more volatility. So depending upon your risk tolerance and your ability for you know some short-term pain, I, I, I could make an argument that that's a way to go as long as you stuck with that strategy throughout, regardless of what the market conditions are. 
Okay, so that's a good point. When you go to a total market fund, you're really buying more large cap. You're more heavily weighted there. That's right, because it's a, uh, because it's a weighted index. It's weighted yep. to market okay. cap for those. Okay. Market good. capitalization, well, i.e., the value of the underlying companies. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. So you're well, not going to well, get you're you. not going to get the same. You're going to get a lot more Microsoft and Google in there than you are in Bill Smith's trucking company of Dakota. Illinois. <laughs> okay. Well, I, pr I appreciate uh, your comments and the strategy here. Well, well accepted. Appreciate right, okay. it. Thanks, Randy. Right. Appreciate Thanks. it. Thanks. Bye now. All right. We need to take a quick break, but uh, stick around for more of Allworth's Money Matters. Can't get enough of Allworth's Money Matters? Visit allworthfinancial.com slash radio to listen to the Money Matters podcast. Welcome back to Allworth's Money Matters. Scott Hansen, Pat McClain. Hey, um, I think, Pat, that there are a number of people that would probably meet with a financial advisor if they had a better understanding of what their journey was going to be like with a financial advisor. And I'm talking about an independent, credentialed, fiduciary financial advisor. Yes. But I try to put it, look, I've, I've been in this industry ever since uh, I got out of college. So I don't, I try to put myself what in the mind of what, what's it like for someone in the first time they talk to an advisor? What's it like for the first time they talk with an Allworth advisor? Because I think like, it's probably like I've talked to some psychiatrists or, or psychologists a few times over the years. And it's always a little, they, start asking, they go deep, right? And it's like, that's, that's <laughs> what, I have some things I'm not that proud of. And the same thing with my financial life. It, it, I, I would equate it to going to a marriage counselor for the first time. Because if you're in a relationship or you're married and you go to a financial advisor, you, you're, both you and your spouse are going to reveal things about yourself. You're going to talk about things you're not comfortable with. You'll probably talk about things you're excited about with. You go to a marriage counselor which I've been in for a tune-up a number of times. Um, the, 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 like the first time I went to a marriage council, I'm like, what's going to happen here? Am I going to be the idiot? Am I the one that's going to be like the, the, the jerk in the relationship? <laughs> you sure. don't show up with a list of things that they need to change in there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sure, sure enough, all, all my fears came true. <laughs> it was me. But <laughs> look, the, the point being is going to a – Financial advisor is um, it's a little bit scary. So it's it, fat. I would say it's not quite like that. Because that is bad. Not, not, not no. Bad. And an advisor, a good advisor, understands how uncomfortable it might be for somebody. And then there's all those other questions. So we thought we'd have on one of our uh, our own financial advisors join us, Eric Chetwood, and Eric is um, one of our Allworth partners in North Carolina. And Eric, thanks for taking some time to be with us. Gentlemen, thanks for having us. Uh, thanks for having me. And, long time and, listener, first time guest. Eric, <laughs> okay. Long time listener. So, Eric, how long have you been in the been a financial advisor? Uh, since two thousand and four. Okay, two thousand and four, and you were partner with the firm, and then you joined Allworth within the last year. Um, That's right. And so you've you've been around lots of different financial situations. Um, mm -hmm. And so tell us, tell us what it's like for, you know, a first, first meeting with a financial advisor. Is it as bad as the way Pat was describing? Yeah, I, I, Scott, I think in my experience, I mean, I've noticed that clients, uh, there may be hesitant to meet with an advisor because maybe they've had a bad experience or they have preconceived notions about what meeting with an advisor might look like. I, I think they might have this idea or an experience that advisors kind of treated them, uh, kind of that initial meeting, almost like a speed dating event where it feels awkward, it feels pushy, and they don't want to experience that. Um, so I get the hesitation. I know that our approach, Scott, you were talking about the importance of meeting with a, a fiduciary-minded advisor. Our approach is more consultative than salesy in the sense that uh, instead of a speed dating event, it's more like going to the doctor's office. Uh, for the first question where my first question to a prospective client is, hey, what brought you in today? How can I best care for you? Um, and then they tell me what's ailing them about their retirement. And then just like a doctor, I'll ask them some questions, you know, take an inventory of their 
instead of their medical history, their financial history, instead of their prescriptions, you know, their assets and liabilities. And then we kind of go from there. And give me an example of, well, think of the last month or two, some um, first time appointment, somebody came and met with you for the first time. What what were they yeah. looking for? What was their situation? And Eric, can I add on to that? You said retirement. Do people come to you for things other than retirement or multiple or just like singular questions? For sure. Yeah. And and I think that is usually the best place to start is, hey, what what brought you in? What what were you hoping to get out of this meeting? What pressing questions are on your mind right now? I always think that's a great way to start the meeting because usually people will come in with something in mind about, well, I have this tax issue or I have this employer stock or um, the the most common question that I get is, I know that I have this nest egg that I've been saving for, uh, but I'm not sure whether or not I can pull the trigger and make the transition from the accumulation phase to the distribution phase. Um, I've been receiving a paycheck and and now I'm going to be living off the distributions from my nest egg. And I'm not really sure, I'm not really confident that I can do that and not run out of money. And so a lot of times what they're looking for is the confidence to be able to enter retirement um, and be able to do what they want to do when they want to do it and not have to worry about money. So um, I think any of those pressing questions that they might have is a good place to start. Um, if if they're comfortable sharing their story, I love to get to know them a little bit and just hear a summary of their life story for a little bit. Um, and then if their questions are about retirement, I may ask them what their ideal retirement looks like. And I'll, I'll tell them a story and I'll, I'll tell you all the story that I usually share with them. Um, I ask them to imagine a crew of workmen and maybe the mid-1800s who are clearing a forest full of trees uh, to build a road between two towns. Okay. And if 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 you can remember the mid-1800s, the bulldozer wasn't invented yet. Wasn't invented until 1904. So these guys are chopping and clearing by hand. And I'm, I'm, pic- I'm and- picturing myself in, in Durham uh, where you are because there's lots of, it's, <laughs> lots of trees. Yes. Lots Not like trees. the Great Plains or something, right? That's exactly right. Lots so these trees. guys are chop, chopping trees, uh, and they're chopping and clearing, and they're doing it by hand, and it's hard work, and it's brutal work. And just imagine they've spent weeks trying to clear this road, chopping and clearing, chopping and clearing, and the mayor of the destination town arrives in a huff yelling at them that they've bypassed the town altogether, which is obviously not good. Um and one of the workmen looks back and notices that the road that they have been uh, clearing is curved ever so slightly. And as you might imagine, small curves over a long distance uh-huh. add up to big curves. Um, so tippers flare, workmen start blaming each other for making such a stupid mistake. And then suddenly one of the wiser lumberjacks begins climbing one of the trees. Uh, and his colleagues ask in exasperated tones, they're like, where do you think you're going? And he spits on the ground and he says... Sometimes you got to get above the trees to see how to get where you want to go. And I think that's relevant to this discussion because a lot of times when I talk to prospective clients, many of them are so caught up in the chopping and clearing of everyday life that they never take time to get above the trees and see where they want to go and which route is the best to get them there. Um, So we talk about that. We try to help them articulate that ideal retirement uh, and then ask them questions uh, that that can help them do that. Things like the kinder questions and other what are the, things. What are can... the kinder questions? Yeah, yeah, great question. So uh, a life planner named George Kinder came up with three questions that really kind of uncover passion and priority. I'll give them to you real quick. The first is, if you suddenly had a billion dollars in your pocket and work is now optional, how would you spend your time? Um, And that question to think about that is really helpful because it uncovers your passion. If you do something for free, chances are you're pretty passionate about it. Um, The second question is, if you found out that you only had five years to live, how would you spend your time? Um, That helps uncover priority uh, because when people are forced to number their days, then what's important changes, who's important changes, all that good stuff. The third question is, if you found out you only had 24 hours to live, 
What would you mourn? Um, and so those questions kind of uncover passion, priority, and then the responses to those questions really become the big rocks that we can plan around. Um, and so once we have a vision for what that ideal retirement looks like, we can help those clients quantify the variables that would get them to that ideal retirement. And then we show them an example of how we've helped other clients have confidence that they are on track to reach that ideal retirement uh, by showing them a, a Monte Carlo and, simulation or a financial planning tool. But Eric, when people when people will come in and they like, well, if I had, well, these things aren't really centered around money. No. At no. all. Correct. Yeah. Um, they're centered around which is always life, which, which is which I you know I, what I enjoy about this conversation. I think uh, if you just asked random people on the street what a financial advisor does, that's probably well they invest your yeah. money to get a high return for your money. And and Eric, I know you've had people come in and you say, well, what brings you here today? And they say, I'm trying to see. I I, I have this chunk of money. I'm trying to see what the best place. Where do you think the best place to invest right now is, Eric? Right. Yeah. And you're like, well, let's take a step back and you give your little story about chopping the wood through the forest <laughs> and and yeah. and these yeah. questions to really to figure out what it is they're trying to accomplish. Because mm-hmm. how else do you build a financial plan and an investment plan unless you know things such as when's the, when's the money, when is the money going to be needed? What's the money f- needed for? How much distributions are we going to need? Yeah, from all those other things. Is, are you charitably minded? Do you want money to go to your mm-hmm. kids? Are you supporting any grandchildren? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the rest is you just plan backwards from this. For sure. Yeah. That, I, I mean, I, I think trying to discuss, we always tell clients trying to discuss investment strategies without first discussing the plan is like a doctor prescribing medicine without taking uh, a medical inventory of what you've dealt with and what you're dealing with. So, that, Pat, you're right. These are life questions. And then the reason that they're helpful is they help paint an ideal, and then you can quantify the ideal. Do, do you ever so have to? Somebody's I- but Eric, do you ever have to tell someone that this is just your your ideals are just completely unrealistic? Absolutely, uh, but but we try to do that. We talk about the ideals, then we quantify what it would take to get to the ideals, and then we stress test those. Um, and then the stress test shows them, hey, your nest egg can't really support these ideals, but it can support, uh, if you think of things in terms of needs, wants, and luxuries, it can support, your nest egg can support your needs, it can support some of your wants, but all these luxuries, you know, buying a yacht and things like that, we can't really do that, that's not sustainable. And we have found that when clients um, can make informed decisions, then they make better decisions. Mm. And so that's why the planning process is so important before we start talking about investment strategies. Um, Because uh, an author that I like to use, um, Andy Stanley says that your direction, not your intention, determines your destination. So I can want to retire at age 30 and have a yacht in the Caribbean and things like that. But if I'm only saving $5,000 a year, I'm not taking steps in that direction. It doesn't matter how badly I want that. Um, I've got to I've got to make a plan and execute on that plan in order to get there. So it begins with a vision, and then it starts with action steps. Have taken inventory of what resources do you have to make that vision a reality, and then stress testing those resources to see whether or not they can handle. High inflationary markets, you know, turbulent markets like what we've seen this year in 2022. Um, so all of that planning process is so important because the investment decisions are a derivative of that plan. Makes yep. complete, totally agree with you. And Eric, I got to say, I liked, I liked this process. Many of our advisors, you, you know, so we have listeners. We have I don't know, 27 offices across. We have similar but not identical experiences in every office. So the core values sure. are the same, but some advisors use different words. But it's all the, the same kind of thing to get you it, to understand, figure out what it is that's driving you. That's right. What, what mm-hmm. you know? What what what's the objective? So we do appreciate uh, the fact that you're part of the Allworth team, and we appreciate you joining the show today. Yep. So I appreciate. Thank you, Eric. gentlemen. Really appreciate it. Thank, Thank you. you, Eric. So yes. Uh, 
Eric, uh, great, great. He's oh. <laughs> great, great. <laughs> <laughs> you sound a little self-promotional. I think the intent it was to have people understand what a good financial advisor yeah, that was. Yes. But he's a good guy. He's a, he's, he's a good he's guy. really mellow. Uh, he has a mellow demeanor. He's intense on the inside, but he has no. A yeah, good... I was going to say I wouldn't call him mellow. But he he is a he's highly engaging, a great listener. You, you can just tell when you first meet somebody that he's really he's interested in others. He's, he's interested is probably he's intentional. Yeah. Anyway, enough about Eric. <laughs> uh, let's uh, go back to calls here uh, again. If you would like to be part of our program, have if you're dealing with something in your financial life, would like like us to. Chime in on, would like our opinion on how you should be thinking about things. We'd love to take your call. You could just uh, call us, and then we'll schedule a time that it's convenient for both of us, all of us, um, to have that conversation. And to join us, the number is 833-99-WORTH. That's 833-999-6784. And let's go to Doug. Doug, you're with All Worth's Money Matters. Yeah. Hi. Thank you. Um, love your podcast, by the way. Thank you. And I, I had a question. You know, it, it's impossible to avoid the news and the effects being discussed of things like you know rising inflation, especially food and fuel. Oh, yeah. my gosh. It's a gas pump and the checkout lane. And then we've got rising interest rates. And today the Dallas Fed said, well, you might have a 20 percent retraction in real estate value. Um, none of this, of course, helps us sleep well. And then you go out and you start to talk to people and you hear about things like Skittles charts and stagflation and recession and asset classes. And it goes on and on. And here I am, a retail investor, and I have some stuff that's that's managed. But the go-to seems to be portfolio rebalancing. And with all these moving parts, I'm wondering, is, is it... Is it? Do we need to talk about something bigger or more core, like a change in investment strategy? You know, it's interesting. Yeah, what would that mean for well, people who you know are investment advisors, like like you folks, and myself, who's also a you know a retail investor. So here's what this this reminds me. Uh, this question, this call, reminds me back um, after the financial, actually during the financial. Uh, crisis, right? In 09. And it, what it really brought me back to a conversation I was having with somebody who's in the industry. And this, this gentleman, um, he represented a firm that does, does investment management for other advisors. So typically smaller investment advisors, they would, some, they would outsource this to this particular company. Okay. And this company had thousands of investment advisors so they worked they, with. and They call them third-party asset management programs. Yeah. And so th this person was telling me about all of the various kind of alternative-type solutions they had to the classical let's own stocks for the long term and let's use bonds for the more conservative part of the portfolio. Modern portfolio theory. Right. And, um, of course, th the reality is if you looked five – 10, I mean, 15 years out, you would have been, they would have been much better off. Those clients would have been much better served had they stuck with the strategy they had going into the financial crisis. Mm. Right? Because so when you think about what, what options do we have with our money? Well, we can, we can own things that are going to produce something for us. And that would be in the, we can own companies, pieces of companies through stocks. We can own real estate. We can own the local, um, dry cleaner, right? We can own things that are going to produce some sort of return or we can lend money to somebody. We can lend the government by buying government bonds. We can lend a company by buying their bonds. We can lend money to the bank. Yeah. Essentially just keep our cash in savings, but they you're lending it to the bank and the bank is turning around and lending it to someone else. Or we can speculate. Mm-hmm. I don't know what other options there really are, right? Yeah. And <laughs> what ends up happening in, in cycles like this, there's an old saying on Wall Street, when the ducks quack, feed them. And so we start seeing some of these sort of solutions that are sup supposedly 
going to provide great returns while providing tremendous downside protection. But the reality is, (laughs) unless we suddenly think that we're no longer going to have any growth going forward of any sort of companies, whether it's publicly traded company or a real estate or local dry cleaner, if we think those are all gone, then it's not, maybe the U.S. dollar is not even the place to store our wealth anymore because it's, would be a reset of some sort. Well, Scott, I view it a little bit differently. Um, I think that it's, it's really difficult to be an investor right now uh, because modern portfolio theory did not work. Uh, Which is essentially at its core, markets are efficient. Short periods of times they are inefficient, they can be inefficient, but eventually things resort back to their mean, back to their norms. And um, index funds are built up exactly on the premise of modern portfolio. Right. And then this risk tolerance where I mix bonds with stocks, it's the worst year for this stock bond mix that we've seen in over 90 years. Right? Yeah. I, I yeah. In fact, I've seen these horizontal bar charts where I should have been in commodities for the last 18 months. That's right. That's right. Should you have been commodities for the last 20 years? Well, pro- probably not. Okay. <laughs> so, what, 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 I mean, if, 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 looking at what just happened is irrelevant. Unless we have the yeah. ability to suddenly say for the next 18 months, if you can tell me what's going to perform the best the next 18 months, then surely we could recommend which asset class to put your money in the next 18 months. But the reality is nobody knows. So, yeah. and it's difficult. It, no one is discounting that this is not difficult. And by the way, it could get a lot worse than it is today. And the markets could actually, it doesn't have to actually go down to make it worse. It just needs to extend the same way before it recovers. Mm-hmm. And then the the emotions will get even stronger, which is why am I wasting my time here? This thing not only lost money, it didn't. Once it lost money, it just stayed the same forever for another year or a year and a half after that. Why am I doing this? Right? Um, yeah, that's when we, that's when we start stuffing our mattress with our cash instead of leaving it invested. That's right. Well, if you go back to the downturn after the dot com bubble, that was thirty months. So March, March of 2000, we hit a high. We continued to have declines. Things didn't bottom out until, I believe it was November of 2002. But bonds did okay during that time period. Bonds did okay during that time period. Right? Yeah. So so th- th- it was propping it up. So what we're going to end up seeing is the bonds could get a little bit worse. Nobody knows. In fact, the Fed doesn't know. Right. The, 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 the problem is right now is you're seeing that you can't go a day without picking up the paper without you're seeing mass layoffs everywhere. And these are the ones that are hitting the paper. The stuff that's happening yeah. in the mortgage and the building industry hasn't even hit in the paper. These are severances that are being given. People aren't on unemployment. They're not showing up in the numbers yet. They may yeah. not show up for three months, four months, five months, six months. So the problem the Fed's looking at this and they're measuring everything and they're like, whoa. And we saw what a, a couple of weeks ago with that one Thursday where it just popped. The markets were up 5% across the board. Yeah, crazy. Crazy. And the reason being is because uh, inflation seems to have come down a little bit. It, it could turn. I tell you, it, this market could stay like this for another 18 months or it could turn on a dime in six months. It could turn so, on a dime. Would yeah. I- so what is how do asset class mix fit into this? Is it do you just ship those kind of things around to, for safety or yeah. sacrifice growth? Or- well, you, you well, normally buy. You normally would like if stocks fell twenty five percent, bonds fell ten percent. Then you would actually sell bonds and buy more stocks. But I, I think building a portfolio to your, to your question there, Doug, it's it really kind of <laughs> comes down to, and what we, what we just had a conversation with Eric about, it, it's it's building it's building a portfolio based upon what you're trying to accomplish with your finances, yeah, in an area that's going to give you the highest probability of success. No, nothing's going to be totally sure-proof unless you had everything in short-term treasuries, but then you've got your own your other issues like inflation and whatnot. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and so it's really about building a portfolio designed to. This is our philosophy. This is what 
and I think most fiduciary advisors are. It's about building a portfolio that's designed to weather the storms, knowing that they're going to come, knowing market cycles are going to come and go, but we can't predict the timing of those things. I have no idea when t commodities are going to have a great 18-month run and when they're going to have a lousy 18-month. Those things are just not not possible for anyone to predict. And if you try to predict them, the, down, the problem is if you're wrong and you find yourself on the wrong side of the trade, it can be completely detrimental to retirement. And if you look back at the people yeah. who called the financial crisis, well, they've also, the same people have had horrible uh, bets and other ones. They're not the same people that keep calling them. Yeah, the they're the people that have called nine out of the last two. Yeah, they've they've gotten right. Lucky. So, but it's okay to own five percent of the portfolio in commodities if that's what you want. But I wouldn't bet the farm on any one asset class. No, and have a good. It's um, and and part of it. You, there's some tools you can look at that you can see at least historically how asset classes have worked together to structure things to give you the maximum amount of return with the lowest amount of risk. Uh, what's happened historically doesn't obviously doesn't guarantee the future, but it gives you something to at least um, to build off from there. And then it's again, probability of outcome. So appreciate the call, Doug. Hope that was helpful. Hey, I uh, wanted to let everyone know that this coming Saturday, uh, Pat and myself are going to be in the studio all morning from 9am to noon Pacific time, taking your calls. So if you think about that, we have three hours, we're going to be in the studio Saturday, to September 3rd, from 9 a.m. to noon Pacific time or in the afternoon if you're on the East Coast for those three hours. And simply call 833-999-6784 or you can send us an email at questions at moneymatters.com. It's been great being with you. We'll see you next week. This has been Allworth's Money Matters. This program has been brought to you by Allworth Financial, a registered investment advisory firm. Any ideas presented during this program are not intended to provide specific financial advice. You should consult your own financial advisor, tax consultant, or estate planning attorney to conduct your own due diligence.